and we are on the record. Welcome to another episode of HT, a third culture kid, where I, as a third culture kid, share my thoughts, experiences, and conversations. David, welcome back. Hey, what's going on? How's it going? Are you uh, feeling better? Yeah. Um, you get? What, were you, what were you sick with? Uh, well, I did test positive for COVID. Shite. And uh, it was it was an experience. I mean, I definitely... This is not medical advice, but <laughs> I definitely do appreciate all the precautions that I took because it was a pretty uh, shitty experience. Just it like it was bad, huh? And you were vaccinated. Yeah, yeah I had the vaccinations. Um, I mean, I was still kind of able to function, but like the biggest thing was like the fatigue where it was just like I was just sleeping a lot and like um, just like I would just find myself just like little tasks would take like a lot more energy like just like being that i'm the only person at home i had to like go to the grocery store and this was like towards the tail end oh yeah um, that sucks and i live on the third floor so it was like simple things like just trying to get groceries no elevator in my car no elevator oh that's <laughs> awesome yeah it was just like i was just out of breath i was just like super overwhelmed and i'm like i'm fairly active like i right, you're you know, fit. run marathons and lift and stuff like that so it was it was definitely did a number on me Okay. How long did it take for you to fully recover? Um, I wouldn't even say that I'm like 100% fully recovered. Um, when did I've you been... contract this? Ba- when did the symptoms begin? More than two weeks ago? No way. And you, Yeah. Dude, and you're still not, you don't feel fully recovered still? No. Like have there's, you, there's still you, like, uh, like today and yesterday, I woke up and I still felt like I had like, I was about to get like a sore throat again. That doesn't sound good. That's a yeah. long time. It, you and you p- test positive for COVID. I test the last two days. I it's been um, negative tests. So like the antibodies or whatever are like definitely not there. But it's definitely like like I can exercise again now. Uh-huh. Um, but like I definitely do feel like uh, still a little bit of congestion and like s- some mornings it feels like I have like I'm about to get a sore throat. Interesting. You'd think if you tested negative for COVID that the symptoms would be gone as well too. Yeah. It's, you know, honestly, it's one of those things where it's like everybody's experience is so different when it comes to um, COVID. And I mean, there's some general symptoms that are the same, but I mean, honestly, I think I like that. I don't, I don't know if you remember that day where I uh saw you at the office and we were you already at your desk or were you yeah oh, and you're like you. you're like oh like no no, no that's sick. that's when i that's when we were eating that was the day before that was one day before that's that, when no, I started no. there was one day where you i was at my desk and you came over and you're like oh like you sound sick and like i didn't that feel was, sick that was that was when we were eating oh and, yeah okay. so yeah i didn't before. feel sick i didn't feel sick at all i didn't even know that i sounded sick your voice just seemed different. Yeah. But. So it could have been then that's when like I started contracting it. Um, so, but I, I mean, I reported it and like told the proper authorities that like, yeah, I had it. So, well, that's good. Interesting. I, you know, I know you and I, and we were sitting diagonally from each other, not like across from each other, <laughs> which I guess was a good precaution to take <laughs> yeah. given that you got COVID, but I did feel sick after I had that meal with you. So, that's, I guess, an indicator that the precautions did work. Yeah. In a way. Or maybe you didn't get it then. It's hard to, it's really hard to really tell. It's hard for, it's hard. To, it's 14 days of working through the symptoms sounds like a little bit too long of yeah. time. It's, it's a it's, lot. Yeah. I'm still you know like, oh, go ahead. Do you know if it's Omicron or just a standard variant? You have no uh, I think, I don't, I don't know. I just took like the um, at home tests. Um, right that I was able to find. So um, I know I tested positive for it, but, you know, I think, you know, the, the thing that a lot of people have been talking about, or, you know, or what's been coming up in the news is like, Oh, like, see, it doesn't work. See, it doesn't work. But like the vaccine, you mean? Yeah. But like, when we think about like how things operate, like nothing is ever 100%, right? Like there's no Medicaid, like that you can even take, um, you know, measures against like things like cancer, right? And cancer will still come back. And so I think the idea is that like you are trying to build up your immune system. Like it's almost like the matrix, right? Where 
Neo goes what? and he, <laughs> he downloads the blueprint to like to be able to like perform martial arts. He could still get beat up, but he has a blueprints and he understands and he knows how to defend himself. And so, you know, he'll, you know, he'll, he'll still get beat up, but he'll still go through that process. So I think it's the same thing. I see like, the analogy. With the va- vaccine. Yeah. I mean, the concept is that we're trying to frame something as binary when it isn't binary. It's not like 100% success or 0% success or, or 100% failure. It runs on a spectrum. Like the yeah. effectiveness runs on a spectrum and a scale too. The yeah. fact that you got the vaccine, it's possible and maybe likely that because you have the vaccine, you, the, the effects that you incurred were less had you not had the vaccine. So like yeah. it goes on a scale. So it's that, that concept. Which also, I guess, is applicable to the Matrix. It's not like Neo <laughs> is never going to get beat up or always going to beat up somebody else. It runs at a scale. Sometimes he will, sometimes he won't. Yeah. Yeah. Nice nice analogy. Did you watch the movie, Matrix Revolutions? Now, what I, is it called? Matrix? What, what is it called now? Uh, Resurrection. Yeah. yeah. It was terrible. Yeah. It was terrible? Yeah. Did you... Um, so I was comparing Rotten Tomatoes ratings. So Reloaded had like 30-some percent. So it had worse Rotten Tomatoes ratings, I think, of all the Matrix movies. And the Resurrections had like 69%. At least the last time I checked. So it was better mm-hmm. than Reloaded. But I don't... I don't recall thinking the Reloaded was that bad. And I, I didn't think Resur- Resurrections was that bad. I think the action was a little bit more sluggish in this one. But I would give the Reloaded a better rating than the Resurrections. Do you think Resurrections was the worst movie out of the Matrix franchise, or from the ones that I I didn't get a chance to rewatch uh, Reloaded? Did uh, you watch Reloaded once at least? Yeah, but it was this was back when it came out, so I, I rewatched the first two, um, the last over the last couple months, but I didn't get a chance to watch the la- the Reloaded is the second one. Matrix oh, Reloaded. okay, yeah, okay, so yeah, I have I've seen that one. It's the the one after that one that I haven't seen. Oh, uh, the Revolution's the last one. Yeah. Trilogy. yeah. What, did you think Reloaded was worse or better than Resurrections, the second movie? Honestly, yeah, I liked it. I liked it better than Reloaded. Better than Res- Me too. I liked Reloaded yeah. better than Resurrections. I mean, that seems pretty epic. Reloaded's a movie where it has Neo fighting like hundreds of Agent Smiths like for the first time or something. Yeah, Thinking, that was like, pretty cool. Like in this plaza or something. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I, I felt like the Resurrections, the it felt Disney-fied a little bit. Like, yeah. Was, I don't know. It's not, it's not a Disney movie, but somewhat it felt like Disney-fied. It's like, it's not a bad thing, but I think the, when for the new Star Wars franchise movies, we're seeing a lot of like this effort to diversify um, representation. And that's all great and stuff too. Um, but... I, 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 I think maybe. it makes sense in the world of Star Wars. And this is somebody who's a diehard Star Wars fan to have Star Wars tattoos. Um, you have Star Wars tattoos on your body? Yeah. Well, I have a one. It's a combination of two different of two different things. It's a quote from uh, Yoda. And then it's also an a X-Wing. Um, wow. But wow. I, I think it, that makes sense to have diversity because the world is so expansive. But when it comes to right. the Matrix, it's like it, 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 like the first two were like it was like very steampunkish. It was very like, um, you know, cut, like grungy. And then it was just like this new one was just very like, yeah, I don't know. It was well, just so it the, didn't hit the same way. So actually, I take that back. So the Matrix, I think, has always had some diverse representation with ethnicities. Um, so that's not. I, I think I brought that point because if the focus is that for the movie, then I feel like the focus would be taking away from maybe the plot and making it interesting. But I, I maybe that's not the case for Matrix um, Resurrections. I think there's a certain like youthfulness about Resurrections. They brought in this like new people who are now the new mm-hmm. like characters of the Matrix as well, and. They looked like relatively like young, you know, yeah. naive, still like navigating the Matrix. And then when they saw Neo for the first time, they're like at awe. So that kind of more emphasized yeah. usefulness and their naivety and, and how they're new to all this. So it, was, it felt like Disney fight in a sense. It's like, you know, um, the DC comics, they have like the Justice League and they also have the Teen Titans. Yeah. It, it felt like watching the Teen Titans version of the Matrix in a way. Yeah. The Russians. And then Even- Neo is now much older and then now Trinity is also older as well too they're not the same people and they, they acknowledge that in the movie they're like i don't i might not be the same 
and it, but I, it I felt was, like they were not. The thing was is that too was like even just like the the actions they were performing, like in the other ones, I felt like you know Neo wasn't just like stopping bullets all the time. Like it was kind of like when it was a point where he was like overwhelmed, then he would do some just like crazy move to just like There'd be some get out of that acrobatics as well too. Yeah, but it was like this one. It was just like every chance they got, it was just like oh, do this, do that, do this, do that, and it was just kind of like it, it took away yeah. from those. It was a lot of yeah. stopping. Yeah, yeah. And you couldn't fly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, hampered, um, the one. And it's not the fully 100% the one that we watched. And that by itself already, like, by definition, is not as entertaining as seeing the 100% version of, of the one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was basically Superman in Matrix Resurrections. The guy was, like, flying around and, like, fighting things. <laughs> yeah. He was Superman. Yeah. Yeah, but with you, it wasn't that great. But in Rotten Tomatoes, it got 69%, I think, which was better than The Matrix Reloaded. Um, so for many critics, I think. if you, I think there's some sort of inflation going around with Rotten Tomatoes ratings. I feel like there's been some weird pandemic inflation where movies are more favorably rated than they should be because of the pandemic. But uh, forgetting that, yeah, a lot of critics maybe thought that uh, Resurrection, Resurrection was better than Reloaded. Yeah, I think part of the thing with Rotten Tomatoes, and maybe this is kind of getting more to like the tech side of things, but like uh-huh. they've there's been issues in the past with like other movies where people like uh like just like negative review bombed them to the point where like I believe the last time it happened they had to like turn off the review leaving reviews for a specific movie. Um and I think what I'm I'm assuming what may be happening now is like maybe there's a certain weight that's given to the reviews so that it doesn't overwhelm a review getting such and and force it to get such a bad review. But that automatically makes reviews less objective because <laughs> you're true. leaning towards making it and you're skewing it and then skewing it. That's not accurate. It's not fully yeah. accurate. I mean, yeah, I would love it. If it's more accurate, to just give it be, be a better signal for our audience members to like trust the rating and say, oh, this is a good movie because it's a good movie, not because the parameters are now more narrow so that it's more skewed towards the positive rating. So that sucks. Yeah. Um, but I do feel like I feel like in the past two years, I wasn't able to trust Rotten Tomatoes as much. Like I'd watch a movie that's like 75% rated and I was like, that wasn't that great at all. <laughs> so... But, it, but the ninety percent ratings have been pretty good. If it's ninety percent or above, it's like for me, it's like oh, okay, that's quality. It's become yeah. it's, their scale has become a lot like Yelp. Like if it's four stars, stars and above for Yelp, then you're like oh, okay, it's a good restaurant. But anything below four stars, you'd like start getting suspect. Like don't the, get me started on it's Yelp. Very like <laughs> skewed towards the like right tail of like high ratings. Yelp has to, and and the thing is like. Yelp is a whole nother beast because I feel like Yelp employs a lot of predatory practices um, in against their, restaurants or against and the consumers users. and the reviewers, users, the reviewers yeah. and the users. Uh-huh. Like their website is from a mobile standpoint isn't user friendly. They force you to download their app. They force people to um, run ads and on their website, um, and the ads don't That's perform that. or convert have- as well. I haven't checked out their website. Let me just check them out right now. Yelp.com. You could do it on on desktop. You could, yeah. you could use it just fine. But if yeah. you try to use it on the mobile website on your phone, it will force you to uh, to download the app in order to read a, a full review. Mm-mm. Do you think that's predatory or just efficient on their part so that they don't have to dedicate too much resources to maintaining their mobile website? I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, some people may not want to use the app. And I think there does need to be a level of like respect with regards to like, if you're going to to allow desktop users um, to utilize that that functionality of being able to, to read reviews without logging in or downloading anything, then I think mobile users should receive that same respect. I mean, I'm opening the website right now and I can, I can navigate. Yeah, click on click on read more on a review. It's gonna force you to download their app. Oh, okay, or, right. or kick you to the app. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think it's also just efficient. Maybe maybe they just don't have the resources to maintain a mobile website. That's maybe that's possible. 
I mean, by 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 not being able to dedicate resources to a mobile website, not maintaining one, then yes, you're not going to allow people to go to a mobile website, and they'll be deprived of that access. But so why reason, even have why even ha- let people go to the uh, mobile version? Well, at all? I mean, there's still some valuable information. You'll still there's you'll see the ratings, right? Four point five, four yeah. stars. I mean, that's valuable. That's all. That's generally what <laughs> a lot of people just look at what the aggregate ratings are for a restaurant. No. I guess I just I I, I refuse. Somebody's to bitter. It. Somebody's yeah, salty I, about Yelp. It, it really pisses me off, and so I refuse anytime. Really? Do you not I use Yelp? I don't. I do. You use Yelp. Yeah. I don't want to have to have a, a profile to use the app. Man, what? Well, yeah, you don't have to. You can just look at the four stars, three stars, and that's it. You don't have to. If you yeah. want to look at the details of the app, then yeah, maybe you sign in. But that's like for anything. For like LinkedIn, if you want to like use more of the services, you have to pay more and sign in, have make sure you have an account. Um, I mean, sure. I guess in general on LinkedIn as well too. It's just part of the business model. Damn, David. So salty about many just... businesses. Salty about Joe Rogan. Salty about Yelp. Nothing's perfect. Like you said, it works on a scale. It's not all binary, man. And uh, to <laughs> to like exclusively judge one way or the other, like say this is hard, it has to be hundred percent right, hundred percent wrong. Um, that's that's not how that's not how things are. You know, when it comes to Yelp, I refuse to subject myself to their to predatory Yelp. business practices. <laughs> Damn, that's harsh. That's harsh. Uh, nice. Would uh, also, do we say Happy New Year? Happy New Year, I guess. Oh yeah, this is the first uh, this podcast of the new year. Yeah, I was talking to my friend. And I was t- telling him that I feel like the Happy New Year phrase is just so overhyped and so irrelevant because we're celebrating a year that hasn't even unfolded yet. And then that was my point. But he was like, "You're probably overanalyzing it. We're just like welcoming the new year, not like celebrating it, but more like welcoming the new year." I was like, "Oh, you're probably right," because in Korean language and I think in Chinese as well. Uh, I forget how you say it in Chinese or because of Guangfu to I don't know, but the word money's in it, I think, or blessings. Mm-hmm. Um, may there be many blessings. I'm probably butchering the translation. And then Korean as well as like may there be many blessings and good things mm-hmm. and good fortune in your in your life. But in English it's happy new year. So in these East Asian languages, we wish for good things to happen. Uh, we don't say we don't celebrate necessarily the new year. We wish for good things to happen, and then in in the Western culture, I thought it was like Happy New Year, celebrating a new year that hasn't quite happened. But again, it might just be welcoming huh. it. I don't know. You, you tell me. Yeah. Are we celebrating a new year that hasn't happened yet in the states, or are we just welcoming a new year? What is the sentiment really? I think it's like more so the celebration of good things to come idea. You see, this, so my point still stands. Why are we celebrating good things to come when they haven't come? Like, there's nothing to <laughs> celebrate yet. Right? It's the idea of good things to come. To, that's, you know. that's, ex- that's my point. Why, the, that's so irrelevant and so wasteful. Like, it hasn't even unfolded yet. Why are we being, like, unnecessarily optimistic? Not unnecessarily, but it hasn't even unfolded yet. We can, like, set... I don't, I don't know. We can wish good things. We can like also congratulate ourselves on having a past good year and all our accomplishments, set ourselves up for the next year, bid adieu for the past year so that we can look forward to the new year. But why celebrate something that hasn't even like occurred yet? Those are my thoughts. I mean, I think that that's very valid. Uh, oh, really? Really? Oh, thank you. From an American, that's good to hear. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things because like I actually... That brings up, an, uh, I don't want to stray too far away, but like the idea of, uh, I, I believe in Korean culture, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, like births, the uh-huh. months of the baby growing are factored into the birth, right? The months of the baby growing are are fat. Oh, yeah. did you say this to me? Somebody else, somebody else said that to me too. So basically when a baby's born, he's already like one. Yeah. Or she's already one. Is right, that right, true? Right. That is true, kind of, but but if it's, if you factor in the months, it's if it, the baby would be nine months ish when they're born, mm-hmm. right? No, that's not the case. It's just automatically when they're born, there's like one. That's just when the tally starts. I don't know the reasoning for it. It would make sense because nine months roughly translates to a year that they count the years with when the baby is in the inception and the fetus. But it, it is only nine months, so I don't really know the full rationale. But I do know, like, yeah, we count like when you're born, you're like one already. 
Yeah. So that yeah. makes so in the same instance, right? Like I think it would make sense for us to celebrate like what took place in the past and you know also what, you know, the the good things to happen in the future, the the idea of a happy new year. So kind of like a, a celebration of ending and the celebration of new beginnings. I get that. It's like a new ship. And we right? don't know if it's going to be good. We don't know if it's going to be good, these beginnings. They didn't know that the Titanic was going to crash, but they celebrated, you know, the the idea of this, you know, brand spanking new ship that was taking voyage. And was that right, given what we saw with the Titanic? <laughs> I mean, was that great? I don't know if you're proving my point or you're disproving it. <laughs> I mean, in this instance, I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess you got a point. Maybe. I feel like... I mean, my formula kind of for understanding why we are happy or unhappy is the discrepancy between reality and expectations. If we say happy new year, our expectations are this high. If we fall short of it, we're just going to be sad then, right? We're going to be disappointed. So we're like Mm. setting ourselves up for disappointment by like setting a high bar. But anyway, I think maybe I'm just overanalyzing it. You said maybe just celebrating or just welcoming a new year. Maybe it's just that is what it is. Just we're just welcoming a new year. Yeah. Maybe that's what I should take it as. But I don't think I think it's a good conversation because I don't think a lot of people actually talk about that, right? Like we never really question traditions. There's just know? so many things in American culture that I think are just thoughtlessly said. This is one of them. For example, how are you? Do we really expect a true honest answer to how are you in one your conversation? No, we don't. We just say, How are you? Good. Yeah, I'm I'm fine. What about you? Cool. Nobody expects it. Nobody wants to hear somebody say, like, no, I'm having a really shitty day. You know what happened at work right now is just really getting me down and my dog also got sick. Like that's not it's like so we say how are you so thoughtlessly if maybe happy new year also thoughtlessly as well too so these yeah. are some examples that have come to my attention yeah that was I a agree. strong critique huh i agree <laughs> no I, I i agree i mean i think that that's that's a valid point but i mean i'm a hypocrite too because i buy into that i go like yeah how are you too and i don't want to hear like a two sentence or three sentence long response from someone as well too i do i think I think it's part of like what I've grown to learn about the American culture, and which is also not bad. But uh, I think there is a culture and approach for courteousness and politeness, which is great, right? That that just fosters good, pleasant interactions with folks too. That's part of yeah. it. But also, if there's, I mean, if that's if we're doing that at the expense of uh, being fully authentic, like how are you, and doing thoughtless things, then then that's what it is. We might prioritize courteousness over having true thoughtfulness behind the things we say. Yeah. I think the other thing too, it depends on where you live. Um, now being a transplant um, to yes. another state. Um, like How is it pe- there? Yeah. People are more cordial uh, than they are back in California. I feel like in California, people tend to it's kind of like being in New York, right? Where people have things to do. They need to like, you know, get from A to B. Um, You know, they're not really um, concerned about the, what's going on in somebody else's life. But here it's very common for people to just say things to you while you're like shopping or like interact with you. And like, like today, like I was at the grocery store and one of the attendants uh, just like, just started talking to me and like, I was trying to like exit the conversation because <laughs> I didn't want to talk to her, but she was just like, you know, trying to like tell me every sale that was going on this sh- the store, and she was, you know, she was being nice. She was doing her job, uh, but me, you know, I'm like, hey, I got stuff to do, I got places to be. I don't have time to listen to every single sale that you guys have running in the store right now. Let yeah. me leave, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah. perfectly fine. But you're saying like, depending on where you are to there would be different cultures and approaches yeah by state as well and some maybe more yeah thoughtful than others yeah i didn't have quite like a topic that i wanted to discuss for the for the podcast but it was really just going to be about like rambling thoughts <laughs> man what's you know something that has been that i've been yeah. interested what has been in, top of mind uh what's going on with the economy dude the economy? What are you, yeah. You're just probably just talking about the tanking stock market, no? Yeah, what's going on with the stock market right now? My layman's analysis of this, and you, I don't know if you do you use Robinhood or do you use something <laughs> else now. So I have to admit 
that I do have, I have assets there that I've never taken out. There's but nothing I don't, to be ashamed about. I don't actively trade on Robinhood. Let me clarify that. That's okay if you do. And you will <laughs> one day. You will return to that app. Man, Robinhood has not been doing so well. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I feel bad. I feel, I really think that company gets a disproportionate amount of hate for the very things that other companities can be accused of during like, you know, that freeze that they had where they weren't able to like, sell some <laughs> yeah. ass, people weren't able to sell GME or AMC. It yeah. wasn't just them. It was like these other companies, but they get the most of the hate. The reason you guys are on that platform, the reason we're on the Robinhood platform is because it's so easy you to use. So <laughs> we chose to use that app. And then when they go through something that other companies have gone through, and you're, you, you're in this situation because we've chosen this particular app, but it's a system-wide issue that a lot of other companies are facing, then we're just going to just ignore all the positive things about Robinhood and just lay the hate on the app and the product. Anyway, back to the economy. So uh, when a lot of the times when uh, there's like a huge decline, just as aggregate across the board decline in stocks, you're going to see some use that goes like, this, this, this has led to decline or the Fed doing this has led to decline. I don't see a lot of news for that, like in the past few days. I just see decline and there hasn't been a lot of media, like at least in the Robinhood app that I'm using. I don't I don't see a lot of media articles like trying to explain the decline. So that to me is already like, wow, nobody knows what the fuck is going on, maybe. Um, but I can only imagine it's just a further reaction of the expectation that the Fed is going to raise their in, the interest rates. So I don't know. I don't. I don't exactly. What are the reasons for raising the interest rate for the Fed? Something's like unsustainable. I don't know if it's the inflation rate. It's the inflation rate, right? Is there? Are they trying yeah. to uh, manage inflation rate? That's why they're trying to raise interest rate. I think uh, maybe there's that's that. Why? Right? Why would? Let's see. Let's read that. I mean, interest rates are at what? They're still below zero. Are they? Or no, 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 no. It was not below zero. That's um, no, that's no, that's that's in like drastic situations. They would do that. Um, why would the Fed, uh, the target goals increase the cost of credit throughout the economy? Higher interest rate makes loans more expensive for both businesses. Yeah, and everyone ends up spending more <coughs> on interest payments. That makes as unemployment falls, interest rate increases creep near nearer. Oh, inflation, rising rates in the Federal Reserve. Wait, yeah, why? So, I so I. So my, uh, if I recollect my economic education correctly here, if interest rates rise, then the attractiveness of other financial instruments rises, specifically like bonds and other interest rate bearing instruments. So if that the value of those other financial instruments rises, the relative value of the stocks decreases since it's now investing in these other financial uh, interest rate bearing uh, financial instruments has now relatively gone higher. So that's why there might be a decline in stocks because now people are more comfortable turning towards these other financial instruments. Um, so that I, I don't think, think they're, I, to be honest, mm-hmm. with the recent conversation that, uh, or the news that came out that there was conversations about potentially um, deploying more uh, money for businesses under the like uh, PPP loan status, like it just doesn't make sense then, right? If they're going to like increase interest rates and then also give people more money like doesn't that seem counterintuitive uh so i i don't know the whole program but you can still give money without like have any implications or drawing any implications from the interest rate hmm. if they have a reserve for money and they had a budget uh, I use, if this is a governmental program, then they can just give the money to the people because they may have a budget allocated to that program. If but a lot of these programs, but these, but that I guess that's the thing, right? Is that like, for example, with the last uh, batch of business PPP loans, w- people could write those off and they didn't owe any money. So I guess it just that's where again it doesn't make sense of like why would they if if that's going to be the same scenario where they're just going to give people money to stimulate the economy and not expect anything back. I guess, where do they expect uh, like that balance, I guess? Is it just like, oh, that money is going to somehow trickle back into the Federal Reserve? 
is a PPP program run by the Federal Reserve? I don't think uh, so. It's run through banks. Right. That's not the Federal Reserve. Um, I don't know the whole program, so honestly, I don't know if I can say too much about it. Hmm. Uh, but I mean, raising raising the interest rate would increase the cost of borrowing. So businesses that would think about borrowing would now think twice about it. And then also the mortgage rate would also change because I think what's specifically increasing is the federal funds like target rate, like a target rate for um, the Federal Reserve. It's just like a very specific interest rate, but not all interest rates like your mortgage rates and other borrowing relevant instruments. They don't have to respond they don't have to change necessarily if the federal mm. raises a specific interest rate, but it's just that a lot of these different instruments and their interest rates are pegged. They they're tied to the federal funds target rate. So if that raises, then everything else also raises in comparison. Gotcha. So that's, that's the relevant. Uh, that's that's what, how the federal fund increasing their own interest rate, their specific interest rate, is relevant for all these different instruments that also have interest rates. Because they don't have, I don't know, I don't think they have direct control over increasing the mortgage rate for a bank. The, mm. the bank are the ones that are just pegging themselves and adjusting themselves according to the federal funds target rate. And everything's just like kind of cascades over. So it could be reactionary more than anything then, right? Like people just well, other of- Right, right. So Federal Reserve will do something not proactive, but deliberate. And then... Other financial institutions who also have interest rate bearing or interest rate kind of uh, interest rate characterized like instruments, then they will then react to the Federal Reserve um, increasing that. Hmm. Is the Federal Reserve increasing that if they, they're probably going to be their own set of financial instruments that where the interest rates are going to rise to. And because the economy and all these different instruments are very like interconnected, they will also... You know, everything else will also rise. I mean, stock returns are not rising. There will be, they'll probably be decreasing. Yeah. You know, because interest rates higher. Um, but I think the reason for raising the interest rate, some of it has something to do with inf- inflation. Hmm. Um, and you and I have probably both felt the, the, the hurt from rising inflation, <laughs> gas prices, rev. Restaurant prices, man. I remember a time in California when food, like a normal meal, was like twelve dollars. That is no longer the case. It's like sixteen yeah. bucks if you want like a standard meal. That's it's like it's a hot. Plus, that's a lot. Plus tip, you're paying twenty dollars. Yeah, plus tip, yeah, you're paying twenty dollars. But I mean, if you include tip in the twelve dollar meal, you're also paying fourteen dollars. So I'm just gonna like, it doesn't matter. That's, it's just, that's it's just like it's just like a six dollar. What is it? Six dollars. If it's twelve dollars, sixteen dollars, like a four dollar difference, four to twelve, four to twelve, twelve, thirty-three, like it's get thirty-three percent price jump. It's quite yeah. yeah. So if the re rationale for raising interest rates is to um kind of manage inflation, then I am, you know, for that. Although maybe you've experienced this too. But my stock portfolio has been really hurting <laughs> yeah. um, the past few days. I just haven't looked at it. I just, I, I used to look at it. <laughs> yeah. It's just hard time. So I, you, we, you and I maybe both know, cause we, this has happened before when there's been fear that the federal reserve is going to raise interest rates and the yeah. like stock market tanks. Uh, but sometimes it comes like a month later or two months later. I think I just, I, that, that was my experience. So it's hard to time. So when the stocks also kind of tanked in late December, I was like, oh, okay, you know, we're responding to the, the law of institution responding to the news of the interest rate hikes, and that's why they're selling. But then we're now in January, and it's still declining. Yeah. So I'm like, wow, <laughs> yeah. I did not see this coming. So it's just, it's hard to time. Maybe it would have happened in March when I think they're expected to announce that interest rate hike. hike. Yeah. Um, but no, it came sooner. So you know, now that it's already decreased so much in value, I just... I don't think it's a some cost fallacy for me to like hold on because I, at some point it's going to have to go up, and if I let go of it now and then it starts to go up, yeah. then I've just not I just lost out on these gains to be able to recover, and because I can't, I don't know how to time these things, and, and probably a lot of people don't know. If not everybody doesn't really know how to time these things, I'm not going to risk losing out on these potential gains that may come unpredictably yeah. and unexpectedly. But yeah, it's been hurting. Yeah, um, I I actually pulled some out and no. started to diversify a, a bit more. Um, oh, okay, so you put it back in. 
to some other mm, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so other um, accruing uh, investments, and so like I've been really kind of like getting more into like crypto and oh yeah, yeah. Um, like yield farming for different tokens and things of that nature, and. It's that, I mean, crypto also took a, a nosedive. It's taking a hit, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so everything really across the board right now. And I think yeah. the safest thing is to just try to hedge, you know, as much as you can. But aren't we, if we hedge right now, I I feel like we're reacting a little bit too delayed. So hedging would have been useful for sure during this time period, right? Maybe but two what weeks if ago. That, yeah, maybe two weeks ago. No, even two weeks ago, because it's yeah. been declining the past two weeks. But what if the market's already now fully reacted to the news? You start hedging now, the hedge is going to work against you if it starts, if, if we assume that it's been fully reactive, because now it's going to start back, adjusting back up. Uh, so no. Because the I think there's supposed to be another meeting on like the, um, I think it's like the 12th or something like that. Yeah, but you don't know if the meeting's going to go well or not. And so also, that's the thing. But, yeah. also, but you also don't know if the market aka the collection of institutions has already anticipated the worst for the meeting and that's what they're reacting towards yes the worst case scenario may already have been accounted for in the reaction it's possible maybe it isn't possible or maybe we're just weighing over our head you and me because we're not the experts here but if that is a possibility that the market's accounted for the worst case scenario the hedging would actually could work against you yeah, because there's what you lost. I don't remember. I don't remember losing this much money, um, like <laughs> in the past two years. So yeah, I'm like, I feel like the worst case scenario has to have been accounted for, or maybe I have lost this much money. I mean, I we'll remember. see. I mean, this week we have a lot of there's a lot of meetings. I mean, all that? month. Are yeah, you looking at the internet for these meetings? Is that what you're doing on their website? Their schedule. Yeah. Uh, there's a bunch of uh, selected interest rates meetings this week. So, I, you know, I guess mm-hmm. we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Um, we'll see if the ones that if they have those meetings and the market doesn't go down, but it goes up and the news is still bad kind of from the news. So like it confirms the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. That would then indicate that the market was reacting in the past, like recent weeks and accounting for the worst case scenario already here. Yeah. Because when I think the market decides and makes moves and it does move, it's it's a reflection of what they think is going to be in the future. It's like mm-hmm. very forward looking too. So we just don't know like what band of realities is the future that the market as a whole was accounting for. Yeah. Was I mean, worst case scenario, scenario, best case scenario, middle yeah. case scenario. There's just so much uncertainty. But I'm glad you uh, didn't like pull out entirely and um, held that as cash because I, I just feel like the opportunity cost of losing out on the recovery that will probably come in three months maybe um, is yeah is not worth it. It's, just, it's high cost. It could come yeah. in like a month too. Who knows? It's just hard to time the markets. Maybe there are people that can do it. I can't. So it's yeah. no hold. Well, I, no one, I don't. There's nobody that can time the market, right? Because there's so many different factors. There's so many different. So much information. That you would legitimately have to be a politician, at minimum, at the least. <laughs> assuming, <laughs> assuming the politicians are corrupt and they get inside information, <laughs> which doesn't happen all the time. I know you see the news for some politicians <laughs> that do that, which I believe, but I don't know. We've got to give credit to some politicians. And the news is just going to highlight the, the people who get caught, and that just sells the news. But that's not everybody. Not all politicians are like that. Yeah, I, I, that is true. Um, you know, Some are more invested than others. Um, but I mean that at, at the least bit, if you do want an edge, you, you know, you're going to be the first to know about potential policies that are going to be rolling out. That's going to affect different industries. Um, you know, and you know, you actually, you know what it, it I think, and this, this kind of goes into the conversation of like, should politicians be restricted from being able to, um, you know, trade stocks and, and options and investments and whatnot. And I'm very much of the opinion that I think that that should be a thing in the are same they? way. No, they're not. They are. They have to be. No, no they're they, not. Well, that's they are because they can be accused of insider trading. So they there, are. there are rules that punish them for trading on insider information. I'm there pretty laws. sure. There are laws. There, are, there must be laws. Laws for insider trading for politicians. That, that has to exist. 
I remember the news that, that some politicians were being like pushing for this. It's designed to combat insider trading. It was signed into law by President Barack Obama. Wow. Pretty recent if you think about it, kind of 2012. The law prohibits the use of non-public information for private profit. Wow. I'm just more surprised. So there is there are laws, but I'm surprised by the fact that this was enacted in 2012. So like before 2012, <laughs> politicians were kind of able to get away with this and profit on their own. But they still don't abide by that law. You can't, yeah, but at that point, you've done what you can, like kind of prohibiting it, right? That's that's the parameters that have been drawn. You shouldn't do this. You can't, you can't stop someone from killing someone. You have a law for it. But nah, this is different. Someone. This is different. Look, okay, Rand Paul uh, was 16 months late in disclosing uh, the fact that his wife bought stock in a pharmaceutical company that manufactures uh, COVID-19 treatments. Uh, Mark Kelly uh, failed to disclose on time his exercising of a stock option on investments in a company that's developing a supersonic uh, passenger right. aircraft. Is he flight. being investigated and potentially convicted? Probably not. But is he under that process? There's no info on that. Who the, I don't know. Rand Paul sounds like a, a Republican. Rand Paul charges uh, insider trading. Rand Paul discloses 16 months later that his wife bought stock. Uh, 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 um, here, Rand Paul may have violated insider trading law. So there are parameters that they are there. Yeah, they're not allowed to do this. You said they are allowed to do this. They're not allowed to do this. Okay. Yeah, they're not, but they're almost, they're treated as if they can do this. And there's what no penalties. As if they can. They just, the headline literally says here, I'm looking at campaignlegal.org. It says, Senator Rand Paul may have violated insider trading law by failing to disclose wife's COVID drug. Like, implicit in that title is they're not allowed to do this. They cannot do this. Not that they can do this, they cannot. They should not do this. But they're Anybody doing it anyways. Yes, but they'll be punished. You can you can go rob Come a on. store too. No. I can go rob a store. I can do it. But they're that doesn't mean that punished. they're not allowed. It doesn't mean that they're allowed to do that. These people are not going to get punished. These are the people that are writing these laws. No, you no, think no, they're no, going to no, punish? No. That's the legislation. Okay, no, legislation. legislation. But they're involved in the process of like ratifying these these laws, right? Or making sure that these laws are applied federally, right? Yeah, but that doesn't mean the laws are not effective. Here, for I, example, I guarantee you. <laughs> hey, for example, let's say you build a machine um, that is that says that bars you. And I know I'm kind of comparing like the reliability of a machine to something that's operated by human beings. But let's say in the machine you have this feature that says that, hey, if I step out of this door, uh, flash green. Um, if I don't step out of this, if I don't step out of this door like with the appropriate way I should be. And maybe you have to like hold on to something and then step out of the door. If you don't do it that way, then flash red. If you step out of the door in the wrong way, it's going to flash red. And you're like, oh yeah, I built this, but I don't want that to happen. <laughs> the machine's still going to flash red if you step out of the door in like the, in an erroneous manner where you don't like hold a safety bar or something, right? The machine that you built, as long as you've like built the parameters for it, it's, it's going to, and it's reliable and it's, enforced um, independently, and it's going to operate in the manner that you prescribe it to. And then afterwards, just because you, your desire now is now inconsistent with how it operates now, it doesn't mean it's not going to operate in that manner. Just, that's a, yeah, it's a fallacy, I think, to say that because no. they ratified it, therefore, the laws that they ratified are going to favor them, regardless of the actual content of the laws. These people are, are pulling million-dollar trades, millions of dollars in trades, uh, and these, this is over the course of multiple years and these, there's been no, at least so we know there has been no investigations, right. On the record, as if there's any sort of work being been. done to, we don't know that though. We do know that insider trading, it's public insider trading investigation into politicians. There are, uh, there are investigations into this. Uh, the 2020 Congressional Insider Trading Scandal is a political scandal in the United States involving allegations that several members of the United States uh, Senate violated the Stock Act by selling stock at the start of COVID-19 pandemic. Um, okay, the SEC is still investigating. So he, Senator Richard Burr for Insider Trading. They are under investigation. People are being investigated. They're being held accountable. We'll, 
We'll see. I, I don't believe that there will be that these people will actually be held accountable. Yes, but I, I, I mean, really whether don't. they're held accountable is not dependent just on our assumptions that they are guilty. It's going to depend on the facts. You know, they're probably going to look at the facts and whether it's enough. The, the, the problem that you're kind of like pointing to, like, oh, we're not going to be able to indict them or they're not going to be fully charged. That's a problem that's not just consistent with it, like this insider trading with politicians. It's a problem of having enough evidence um, to charge them and then having an infrastructure that is going to assess one way or the other. That's like a problem that's consistent with any crimes. It's not just like restrictive to like politicians. But I yeah. feel like you're discussing a separate matter than the specific no, issue about because like politicians. It comes down, and the reason why I say no is because it comes down to when you're operating in an environment to where your peers that you work with on a day-to-day -day basis who are probably also doing the same thing um, are the ones that are uh, investigating you or putting you on trial, the likelihood of these individuals act, act, like actually receiving any sort of penalty let's say even they do they do the, receive a penalty. data the, the, yeah. the penalty that they receive for the actions of violating this law are probably not going to be comparable to the amount of money that they made based off of these transactions oh okay i mean that is a different but you you just acknowledge that they may be punished then so they yes. are not allowed to do this okay so you acknowledge that now it's, it's possible yes okay <laughs> so you said, sure. but you're right yeah i mean that i don't know that uh if yeah, I, I yeah, I'm open. I guess it's certainly possible that the punishment that they receive might not outweigh the gains that they have received due to their illicit activities. I mean, we have to read further into the penalty to see how that works. But that's true. Uh, but I, I mean, I, what you're saying kind of reminds probably of, to a lot of people, but it reminds us of uh, when banks were bailed out, um, and then when there when there was a financial crash, uh, the crash. Like individuals weren't really as held as accountable, and they didn't like a lot of the people that were accountable for the crash. They weren't sent to jail, so they came out. They were punished in a way, maybe, but much, much less than the gains that they have that the they gained for themselves through their um, not so great activities. The government is notorious for bailing people out that shouldn't be bailed out people that should suffer and deal with the consequences like for example the auto industry all these auto all these companies were received you know uh support from the government in order to keep operating whereas individuals who perform you know maybe similar actions or do maybe require more support don't get the support that they need so that's why i say that it's it's almost like in this in this country uh if you uh, have a certain amount of wealth, you get to experience a certain level of socialism that other people don't get to experience. People in lower socioeconomic, um, you know, uh, environments. People that are wealthy experience a certain socialism. Yeah, uh, social socialistic type benefits. Wait, what benefits? I mean, things like bailouts. When was the last time the you know the middle class received bailouts for things? Huh, is that socialist? Maybe it is. Uh, when was like the last time middle class received bailouts? I mean, the pandemic, we're giving out money for people who are unemployed, right? But did that money actually help with anything? Uh, you ask a lot of the people who um, got those checks. I'm pretty sure it did. Right? When your rent Paying is eighteen hundred dollars a month, and you receive let's say three to four thousand dollars. Well, it's not like, yeah. Okay, Where's that so, money gonna go? Well, it's gonna help pay and cover some of those expenses at the <laughs> for least. For one right? month of rent when things are shut well, down get, for months. Yeah, but you continue to get that until you get employment back, right? Isn't that how that works? The checks. I mean, at the time. The, no, that so that you uh, there were the um, stimulus checks that were given that were given at specific times. Yeah. Um, you could theoretically apply for unemployment, but if you didn't lose your job, you don't qualify for unemployment. So then the only thing that the government could do was say, hey, rent is paused. But even then, after the rent moratorium was canceled, people were kicked out of their, their apartments and their, their homes because of the shutdown that took place and because they didn't have the money to pay. But those people weren't bailed out, right? 
there was no laws enacted to protect those people from the consequences of the pandemic and the, the, the freezing of, of the Yeah, military. I mean, I don't know the full details, so I can't really speak on this. But do you acknowledge that the government has, quote unquote, bailed out individuals, at least for a certain period of time? To a degree, yes. Yeah, uh, I mean, you yeah. can say the same for corporations. I don't think they bailed out every single corporation that was about to go bankrupt in the history of corporations. <laughs> I'm sure there are corporations that went bankrupt regardless. It's a, yeah, it's not a perfect thing. I don't know the full details, but to say the government only bails out corporations, I, I think that's not the full story. Yeah, sounds biased to me. There's been six hundred and thirty-five, $635 billion dollars uh, that have been dispersed uh, in terms of uh, bailouts. Who's received bailouts? Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, AIG, General Motors, Bank of America, Citigroup, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo. Yeah, that's uh, not great. Yeah, Chrysler, Goldman Sachs. Well, I assume they 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 received these bailouts during the financial crisis that they themselves created. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That, that's I, yeah. That's that is <laughs> that is terrible. But that doesn't mean that. The government hasn't "quote unquote" bailed out and supported other individuals. You can say they disproportionately maybe bailed out that that like instance of them bailing out these financial institutions, institutions that respond to financial crisis. Like that is wrong, um, but I, that's not the full picture. That's not enough to conclude the government hasn't done much to support the middle class when they they needed it. J.P. Morgan, twenty five billion dollars. Where did that money go to? How did that money trickle down to support the economy? All that I think you can make Goldman an argument Sachs, for. Ten you can probably make an argument for that. Yeah, I mean, banks are important to businesses, right? They give lines of credit, so you can't just think just the institution itself. Banks also employ people, right? And also, banks also give out loans to others. If you if a bank fails, then uh, a huge bank fails, then I guess this access to capital, this channel to access capital, is going to be removed for businesses, and lots of businesses cannot proliferate then, or they even have a chance if they don't have access to capital. There's a lot of downstream effects I think that is important to assess when evaluating the decision of whether these bailouts help just the banks or other people as well. But yeah, I, I do think it's really ironic that the people who caused the financial crisis are being rescued when they can't do that themselves, but they caused the very situation that had them sinking. So that is uh, ironic and pretty messed up but i i think it's we just i think when drawing conclusions about that though we still have to draw relevant conclusions and not like take that as fuel to say the government only bails out these folks that's just one instance there's also other instances where the government has probably supported individuals as well maybe not to the best degree but that's one way to say it another way to say which i think would be too far is like the government has never done this has never supported like the middle class yeah, I think that's too far. I mean, let's let's. I mean, I I would have to educate myself more on this to have a more educated and informed and intelligent conversation about this. But I feel like extreme conver- extreme conclusions, just by its own nature, are very much more um, vulnerable to um, attack. <laughs> I mean, it's true, but I I think these are the the conversations that that really need to be had, right? Like, is like when we look at where we're at today. And we see all of these failing systems. We we have to ask these questions of, of are things working here's as th- they should? Yeah. So here's the thing. You said, you know, these are conversations to be had. So my counter thought is, honestly, if we don't know enough, do we we need to temper our our fervor in these conversations? Like, for example, the earth is flat kind of uh, a conversation. These are conversations that need to be had. You can say that. But if you don't know enough and you say the earth is flat, oh, is that really a conversation that's productive <laughs> if you don't know enough? Instead of having saying like the conversations need to be had, I feel like we should also add the qualification. We should, these are conversations that need to be had with uh, a tempered approach to that's proportionate to how confident and how much information we have available to us. That's fair. You know? that, that is fair. Yeah. I, I think that's... I think there's some argument there. There's some discussion. So a lot of people have this thoughts like, you know, if you're going to vote, maybe there should be like a minimum test for like making sure that you mm-hmm. have all the facts and whatnot too, because 
so many influences, marketing, political yeah. campaign, finance contributions. It's going to skew what you see. And therefore, if you don't have the full information, are you really a fully informed and responsible voter? <laughs> Maybe not. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to add that qualification to the premise of these are conversations that need to be had. Maybe not. Maybe we, these are not conversations that need to be had if we don't have enough information. Yeah. yeah. Those are some thoughts. Wow, interesting. <laughs> I was going to share some uh, I mean, one other topic that I did want to go through. Also, was like thoughts on Elon Musk. You know, I'm on that Elon Musk bandwagon, so I was like wanted to share um, like an example I read um, and and I, uh, how I applied it to Elon Musk. But you know what? That's probably uh, a topic that will last us a whole hour at least. So we will. We can reserve that for another time. Yeah, yeah, yeah man. There's, I mean, yeah. Elon. You Musk like Elon Musk hater or Elon Musk admirer? Uh, admirer sounds maybe too far, but at least somebody who respects Elon Musk and thinks that man is awesome. Which, to be honest, like, to yeah. be honest, I'm indifferent leaning. I don't think he's as. Uh, I don't think he should get as much credit as he he's getting i think what what credit in in a lot of different ways like like and ways? No. just at the at the limited because i this was stuff that i didn't know previously okay, uh, okay. but i i was i was under the impression that he was the one that started tesla right but that's right. not that's not the truth i can see how that might not be the truth let's say who started tesla and there was actually some controversy behind uh him buying a large majority share and you know kicking out the uh, original founders of the company. Um, I think he's done a lot of good, but uh -huh. I, I'm I'm more indifferent towards him now. He did not. You're right. So I think the better question to ask is <laughs> when did Tesla start becoming viable and seem to have a promising future? Because you. Um, you can have a company that's running, but to make a company successful, that's that's probably when it becomes notable um, what the company's doing. But you're right. The company was founded. Tesla was founded in... 2003. 2003 by names other than Elon Musk. Um, key people. But Roadster. When did, when did Elon Musk... You know, Musk... Uh, including for the company raised. Oh, so he was an investor kind of actually, you know, it'd be interesting to go through history. You know, I didn't, yeah, I don't think a lot of people know that he was a founder or not. To me, it was not as relevant because to me it's become, it, it's important when the company starts like turning around. Um, and if he was the catalyst for turning it around, then we can attribute the success of Tesla to him. Not to whoever years. founded it. 17 years. What? It took okay. 17 years for them to become profitable. Yes, but I... Um, it was founded then... How, how do I... Um, <laughs> that's, a that's a long time to be going... To be operating... Uh, well, we had decades and decades, more than 17 years where the cars existed and no, no other car company came up with an electric vehicle that was competitive sure. with other vehicles. So that's true. I mean, to blame, yeah, to like say it took 17 years for the company to be profitable as a negative would also, if you're going to go that route, you should critique all these other companies as well too. I, they should be <laughs> in every right. But, 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 but a revolution, the fact that it's revolutionary, I think justifies that it took that many years. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't critique the company for taking that long, especially when other companies struggled and didn't find ways. Even like really tenured companies. But maybe for another episode, this is like really interesting. But let's, yeah. let's do an episode on Elon Musk. Um, but uh, as you are, I mean, many of my friends may know, I am an Elon Musk uh, <laughs> a fan, huge fan. So looks Damn like you boy. have another side. So that'll make for another podcast, uh, interesting podcast episode. Yeah. Cool, cool. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Um, fun conversation. 
Thanks for listening, folks. Uh, don't forget to follow at BLKSMSN, Black Samson, um, for his uh, content. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to my podcast if you enjoy. Happy, happy New Year. I said that reluctantly, but Happy New Year. And uh, see you next time. Wish you all the best in this new year.